Hey guys, welcome to this week's show. We are tackling the contentious subject of the banks and specifically the Commonwealth Bank. Interesting results last week. What do they mean for you? What do they mean for the go forward within the business? And I guess most importantly, how can you profit from it? See you in the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter. And as always, my faithful cider companion and very sartorially uh, put together today, Mr. Mitchell Laurentia. I could say much the same about you, Mr. Baxter. Thanks for having me on the show. It's always good. We've just stepped out of a meeting with a client talking about the banks. And that happens to be our topic of conversation today. Are the banks back? Oh, goodness me. Were they ever gone? Were they ever gone? Million dollar question. Well, look, I mean, I've been probably renowned over recent years as being something of a bank basher. I've heard um, that before. But that said, yes, I think um, the, there's a fair bit to dive into. And I guess the framework for this, Commonwealth Bank reported last week, great numbers, and we'll digest those in a moment. Uh, the rest of the, 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 uh, the crew are due to report over the, over the coming period of time. And you know, I think uh, in particular, Commonwealth was a real good insight into the true state of the world from the banking lens. So uh, plenty to digest in there. Are they back or not? I guess we'll wait and see. Better stick to the end of this podcast and get our view on it. Oh, I'm intrigued, Mr. B. And there's a couple of things we can talk about. We talk about risks, mm -hmm. valuation, yeah. dividends. Probably a good place to start is some is some contextual frameworks. Yep. As you mentioned, CBA they've just reported about five days ago. Yep. Now they're kind of the 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 market leader in terms yep. of big four banks here in Australia. Yeah, largest by some margin. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what did we see in terms of their results? Look, I, I, it wasn't so much just the results. I mean, it was like three point six billion profit, which is pretty nice interim profit. Um, we'll talk about their dividend policy in just a moment, and then we'll get under the bonnet and dive into some of the sort of the working parts, which is what I'm interested in seeing within there. So. Yeah, they've made the decision that they're going to be paying out their dividend, uh, $1.50 per share, um, which is quite a jump. Uh, if you recall, you know, we talked about you know, banks and dividends in general being slashed last year during the, uh, the corona slash COVID crisis. Um, APRA, the regulator for the banks, came out and said, look, we, we keep your payout ratios down a little bit, keep your powder dry, keep your capital in the bank, because heaven knows, nobody knows really what's coming down the pipeline with this pandemic. Which um, was a prudent decision at the absolutely. time, right? You need, yeah. spot, you need money to put out spot fires. Holding off on a dividend, I mean, it incurs a lot of wrath from shareholders when it's done for the right reason. And I go back to, you know, probably Harvey Norman is a really good example of that, where they held off their interim last year when all of this kicked off, only to have a bumper year and more than return that to investors. But sometimes it's good to keep that cash on the balance sheet and have it for reinvesting in the business. And so APRA came out, provided some guidelines last year. Um, what we've seen uh, this year, uh, as we move into 2021, obviously number one, a great profit bank, uh, not uh, its highest profit by quite some margin, but nonetheless a really healthy profit from uh, from the Commonwealth. But they've increased their dividend, as I say, up to a dollar fifty, uh, which is um, it's a, a, it's about a sixty. What do they pay? They paid fifty five percent of their yeah. earnings uh, during COVID, and I think this now represents something like about eighty percent, eighty three percent. So it's a healthy move in the right direction, and heaven knows. That will be a huge respite for a lot of self-managed super investors that rely on that fully frank dividend. It certainly was a tough year last year when you think that basically your income was slashed. You had mm. to go and find other methods to create that to do so. So we can chat more about dividends now. The big mm. four banks, they are known for dividends. That's, That's why right. people buy them. Yep. They love the dividends. Mm. Now, with the with the, the rest of the banks, they all got slashed mm. and they're all starting to crawl back. Now, we can talk about CBA's dividend mm. being now higher. Yep. What do we expect with the rest of the banks? I think you're going to have to see them all follow suit to an extent because you know the, the, the difficult times probably weren't as difficult um, as could have been the case. So that hoarded money needs to be redistributed as per, um, you know, if they have a, a, a dividend progressive dividend policy, which a lot of the banks do. So they've got to pay their dividends out and they probably need to restore the payout ratio. So you can expect a better dividend this year, no question about it. The challenging thing with, say, Commonwealth is the fact that, you know, its price is, 
is pretty much back up to pre-COVID levels, around about $84, $86, give or take at the yeah. moment. Um, which is sort of where it was in February uh, last year. So it's taken a year and it's back up to where it was. Um, but its valuation, if you look at the PE ratio, it looks pretty stretched, like 24 times earnings. So For those of you who don't know, just to stop you there, AB, mm. what is PE ratio? You take the price of the shares and you divide it by the earnings per share. In other words, you'd have to hold, in this case, Commonwealth for 24 earnings cycles of retaining the earnings to offset the cost of the share. It's like the internal payoff ratio, I suppose, of it. So nice. you know, typically you see stocks in that sort of, you know, say 13 to sort of 20 range. Uh, I'd say at 24, Commonwealth is relatively expensive. Um, What's the average on that? It's about 14, did yeah, you it's mention? Yeah, it's been significantly lower than that over yeah. recent years. Uh, so it's, it's above average. Now, why is understanding how its valuation right now uh, is perceived? And it depends on the lenses you look through if you're an investor or a trader. If you're an investor, you'd be looking at Commonwealth thinking it's already ramped back up. It's back up at the sort of COVID levels or pre-COVID levels. I've missed the boat here. It pays its dividend on the 16th of February. Um, so I've missed the boat. It's, it's already too high. Whereas as a trader, we see things a little bit differently. We're not looking to buy low and sell high. We're looking to buy high and sell higher. Or indeed with cash flow on demand as a strategy, it doesn't really matter what your entry price is into the stock because you're using it as an underlying asset in which to generate cash flow. Sure. So you know, very, very different lens depending on your strategy there, but it's fantastic to see uh, the recovery uh, that the bank has certainly had because ultimately, whether you're a bank basher or not, our banks are the backbone of our economy and uh, you know, responsible for making sure that that distribution of funding back into the economy really happens. And it's easy to hold on to that money rather than let it get out there and grow. A um, couple of things to be noted. Um, when all this kicked off, uh, one of the big uh, areas where the banks, I guess, were working cheek in jail with the government was in regards to payment holidays on loans, uh, where they said, look, you can have up to a six month payment holiday if you're doing it a bit tough. You know, it's great PR, but it's also pretty prudent business where sure. people are sort of settling into you know, what a pandemic really looks like and its impact on the economy. Um, so Commonwealth, I think, had about 125,000 loans that went on the loan payment holiday. And that number now is down to about 22,000. So it's 22,000. Look, it is. No question about that. Uh, it is. Um, but there's still 22,000 households there that are on a payment holiday. And at some point, maybe at the end of JobKeeper, or if the economy um, continues to be very sporadic in some states versus others, uh, you know, that's got the capacity to cause some major problems um, for those people. So from an investor's point of view, great news. The potential bad loan book isn't there. People are back on top of paying for their mortgage. Property market's been very, very strong uh, and we're off to the races, hence why the share price has moved up. Absolutely. And it brings me to that question now, Amby. How do you balance a decent fundamental story or improvement mm. in that case for CBA versus its valuation where the PE ratio is trading high? How, how do you mix those? I don't really use PEs. So I, I don't believe it's a very good measure to use and that might sound a little bit arrogant, but if you take a PE ratio, you're taking the price, which is a fact, and then you're dividing it by the earnings. And if you're dividing it by its historical earnings, you buy shares today for what they're going to do going forward. But if you're using historic earnings, that's last year or the year before, which is out of date before you start. You're driving the car looking in the rear view mirror. Crazy. Doesn't make any sense. Or alternatively, you can use a forecast for earnings, which is nothing more than a glorified guess. And as such, you know, it can become quite a, um, a, 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 an overly hyped up tool. And, oh, the great investors use PEs. Who, who do you think you are to be able to criticize them? I'd rather use support and resistance because it simply <laughs> shows you where the market sentiment is. Sure. And that's fact. So, yeah, I do think it's quite lofty in terms of its valuation from an investor perspective. Um, I'd be interested to see what follows through from the other banks because, you know, the, the, the tapestry of their businesses are slightly different. You know, we saw uh, Westpac, um, you know, has sort of decided it's, uh, you know, it's um, pulling its funding 
um, in some coal-based projects. Commonwealth came out a couple of years ago to do that. Um, we've got National Australia Bank, the NAB, which is more business focused. So it'll yep. be interesting to see what the slowdown in business has actually done to NAB's uh, profitability. But yeah, it's a great number out of Commonwealth and it's a good sign that the economy is is continuing to truck in the right direction and the measures that were taken um, on the fly uh, during the darkest hour of the crisis has certainly done a great job of keeping air in the tyres and keeping the economy moving. The spectre, I suppose, the thing I'd be concerned with is if in the moment in Parliament, there's the it's been tabled to look to repeal the responsible lending guidelines uh, that has been imposed on banks. And just to put that in simple terms, there was the Banking Royal Commission three, four years ago now, and the first finding was that banks shouldn't lend money to people that have got no ability to repay it or are lending them too much and stretching them financially. It makes sense. It's pretty obvious. Right. right. Um, and that was the number one finding, and that's where the responsible lending guidelines came from. And it's been tabled in Parliament to have those guidelines wound back, and I think they should be left there because they've done a terrific job of taking a little bit of the steam out of the economy. They've certainly uh, stopped people that are less financially savvy being exploited by, uh, say, a mortgage broker, for example, or the bank themselves. And it's really held the bank accountable in terms of making sure that they do their due diligence. And when someone says this is their income and these are their expenses, actually check that. And it's a tricky one, Mitch, because you've got to say there's a bit of responsibility that lies with the borrower too. It's not just the bank that takes two to yeah. tango. But I do believe at the end of the day, the banks do have an overarching responsibility to make sure that if they're lending, it's done in the most prudent way that's possible. So I don't want to see that repealed. I think that would be a massive regression, a big, big step back for the broader Australian financial community. And I do think it's a bad thing for your average Australian because they then leave themselves vulnerable to being stretched. And interest rates are so low at the moment, it's easy to borrow and it's easy to borrow a lot. Dull the heat knob up to five, six, seven percent interest rate, and you're gonna and, and you're gonna have massive pain. Especially if people are heavily negatively geared, right? Mm, yeah, big, big problems there. So you know, it's, it's it's a really interesting one. I mean, that's not so much about the banks uh, per se, but that's part of the economic management of the economy, and that is let's not let's not let that sector go off the rails again. And rest assured, it did go off the rails, and really there weren't that many penalties for it. You know, the anti-money laundering stuff that was going on, although that seems to be rife across the ASX, Crown doing the same thing. <laughs> seems to be if you're a listed company, money laundered to your heart's content, there's sure. no criminal conviction for it, knock yourself out, strange. Absolutely, well, well let's dive into that a little bit more in terms of economics. And yeah. the banks really is as cyclical as it gets when you talk mm. about stocks. And for those yeah. who don't know what cyclical means, it's a stock that would move in line with the economy. Mm. How the economy is traveling well, so too will the banks. Yep. Now with that comes risks, because if we say, okay, we've got a coronavirus vaccine coming soon, mm. all is looking pretty good, and then that doesn't happen, something mm. happens, they cut supply, yep. where do you think we'll see the banks head in, an, in a negative event? How bad could it be? Look, there's no question the economy is kicked into gear with the, with the sort of um, the vaccine coming over the horizon and the world's going to be a safe place. Quite frankly, I don't think it's going to work that well um, for a period of time. Um, you know, here we are in Australia. I don't actually think it's been rolled out yet. And, no, it hasn't. Uh, so what, what we've got it, what's, what's, what, why is it not been rolled out? We're the, I think we're the last first world continent on the world not to have one. Mm. So uh, anyway, that's probably a conversation for, a, <laughs> for, for another occasion. But, um, you know, I think the, the, the prospect of a vaccination has certainly lifted the economy. There's no question around that. But, yeah, we've got a property market right now that is just off to the races. We've got a stock market that's been extremely strong in terms of its performance. And with interest rates, and, and this is a very, very interesting point to note, with interest rates so low, the risk-free rate, the cash rate on your money, 0.1%, when you see risk-free rates go up, Okay, when interest rates are rising, dividend yields have to go up because and, and, and 
property yields need to go up. Everything well, goes up. Everything goes up. Right? Rising, uh, rising tide lifts all boats. Why? Well, if you get that amount of return for, for, for risk-free, if you're taking risk on by being you know, in a risk asset like property or shares or whatever it may be, you've got to be compensated more than that. In a situation where risk-free rates have dropped to 0.1, um, you've started to see yields in a lot of asset classes drop down, as they always will, uh, bonds as well, to come down and, uh, and really match with that. So you know, you're in a situation where the bank is paying quite a healthy yield, 2.85% is what its current dividend at $1.50 works out to be in terms sure. of yield, which is a reasonable return um, on money in a 0.1% risk-free environment. So yeah, they're doing all the right things in that regard. And here I am, the bank basher, they're doing all the right things in that regard. They're, they're distributing that money back to shareholders by way of what I think is a reasonably generous dividend. Uh, listen to Matt Coleman being interviewed last week, the CEO of Commonwealth Bank. Um, yeah, he's talking about they, they, they want to continue to increase that and get it back to the pre-corona levels, which is fantastic news for, for investors, but obviously the stock is fully valued now as well. Sure. So yeah, there's a, there's a little bit going on there. I think it's a good news story um, and, it, and it's great to see. And look, if we're at the start of the bull market in markets, uh, which I've heard touted around a little bit, yeah, we'll be looking back at $84, $86 going, that was a killer level to be buying in. It was so yeah. cheap, rather like afterpay at $8.50. Exactly right. Um, but if, you know, if we get into more tricky times post-March and the ease back of you know, JobKeeper and JobSeeker, that's going to put a different frame around things too. So you know, there, there's, this is not a without risk trade. It's not they're back to the races and just buy and hold and away you go. I don't think banks per se or a buy and hold type stock. There are plenty of other places I would suggest as a buy and hold type place rather sure. than just simply in banks. Yeah. Okay, well let's talk about not a buy and hold, let's talk about trading. You mentioned 2.85% as a dividend yield, that's mm. paid every six months. Yeah. What about 2.85% on a month to month basis trading call options? Yeah, look, I think I'd probably prefer that. I and, would too. Uh, and, 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 and the interesting thing here, so what we're talking about for our listeners is a strategy we call cash on demand. And typically, you know, four to six weeks, you're going to be able to pull about two, 2.85, 2 2.5% over a four to six week period, which seems too good to be true. And that's just simply because you may not know how to do this, sure. number one. Secondly, you know, people say, well, but you're trading the stock, you know, you're getting the income. What about the, you know, you're vulnerable to the stock. But if you're a dividend investor, as soon as the company pays its dividend, the share price is typically dropped by that dividend amount anyway. So all you've done is taken the money from one pocket and put it in the other. Rob Peter, uh, the PayPal. Whereas with what we're doing, it's new cash flow that's created. It hasn't come out of your pocket. It's new genuine income, which as I say, if you gave yourself a six week cycle, I think being able to replace that 2.85% per year um, and be able to do that every sort of six weeks for you know, maybe seven or eight times a year, you'd be substantially ahead, but it does require a new skill set to do that. And that's what we teach, that's our bread and butter. Well, let's touch on that. How do we learn something like that, AB? Uh, come through, oh, follow us on social. It's an unashamed plug, I can't do this. You're better at sales <laughs> and marketing than me, but I think um, you know, come through one of our webinars and let us teach you how to do that, whether it's Rescue My Super or whether it's Cash On Demand, come through one of those webinars and we'll sequentially run through exactly how to do that because holding for dividend, um, you know, it's twice a year. It's Most brutal. people have got bills that come more than twice a year and if it's twice a year and it's only two, three percent, it's nothing it's in the big scheme of things. Yeah. It's going to look at the cost of living. Sure. So having that regular monthly cash flow that can challenge those numbers every month with risk management in play as well, it's a no-brainer in my opinion. Absolutely. That, that's what we do. What we do. Exactly right. We're not here, buy and hold this stock for the next five years <laughs> and pick up your 2.85% a year. No thanks. No, I totally agree with you on that. Look, thanks very much, AB. We're coming to the end of the broadcast. It's quite a bit in there. The mm. banks are a really interesting topic and mm. where we see them move forward, I think will really depend on how vaccines and travel and things pan out as well. Mm. 
Any final words to cap off the broadcast? The, 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 I think the big distraction is the notion of a vaccine. It's business as usual. We haven't got a vaccine in circulation, even though we've got it right now, and the economy's moving along. So as that starts to push out, I do see that being a positive tailwind behind markets. If it doesn't happen, will some of the euphoria ease off? Of course it will, but we've been operating without a vaccine reasonably well already, and I don't see that really derailing the economy if there's a delay with that or it's shown not to be as, as reliable or yeah, or maybe the Australian government just sits on it and says actually we're not going to vaccinate our citizens because we're not going to do it. Too many anti-vaxxers out there. Better having everyone at home, not letting them go over. <laughs> well look, let's hope the banks keep going up. Let's hope we can keep selling call options and making some money. But thanks very much for your advice and your insight today, AB. Absolute pleasure. Anytime, Mitch. Thanks very much. There you have it, guys. Commonwealth Bank Dissected. Make sure you leave us a review and a rating and we'll see you in next week's show.